worship time together. It's good to see Miss Liz back again as well. Good to have her back among us. Indeed. Um, we have been in a series called What is a Biblical Worldview? And we're going to take a little bit of a time out from that today um, in order to talk a little bit about this subject of thanksgiving. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Luke chapter 17. We're going to meet 10 lepers today who met the Lord Jesus and uh, hear about how, how God wants us to give thanks. So uh, Luke chapter 17, if you would, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading verses 11 through 14, Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. Here we go. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. You may be seated. Thank you all so much. I want to walk into these verses together. We'll begin at verse 11. It says, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing between Samaria and Galilee. I have a map here for you. You can take a look at it. You can see Galilee is around the Lake of Galilee. You have Upper Galilee and Lower Galilee. And then below there is a territory known as Samaria. Samaria was populated largely by Jewish people who had in intermarried with uh, people, foreigners from around uh, that part of the world. And um, so Jesus was passing through these areas. It says in verse 12 that as he entered a village, he was met by 10 leopards. Now, um, I'm sure that somewhere along the line, somebody has told you about leprosy. You've learned about it in a Sunday school class or something along those lines. Um, leprosy is today known as Hansen's disease, and it's a disease of the skin. It begins to deteriorate the skin, and it can it result over time in the loss of appendages. Um, but today it's a curable disease. It's treatable with, um, with antibiotics. Uh, but back in Bible times, it was not a curable disease. And um, it was a very, it's a very contagious disease as well. It's considered one of the most dreadful of diseases in all of the ancient Near East. Um, and so, uh, you know, to control the outbreak of leprosy back in the first century, religious leaders of their day had some uh, pr protections for the healthy populations. And one of these was that lepers had to keep a great distance from non-infected persons. That is that they had to uh, quarantine themselves, if you will. We know a little bit about that. And so another rule was that they had to walk around with torn clothing. That way they stand out to the rest of the population as, look, here comes somebody that has leprosy. We want to make sure that they're obvious um, who they are. And then one more rule was that whenever they went someplace in public where there were other people around who were not infected, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean. And so everywhere they went, they were ostracized. Um, people didn't want to be near them. They didn't want to have the leprosy disease, and so you can imagine it was a very difficult thing for them. Look again at verse uh, 12. It says, so these 10 lepers saw Jesus coming, it says, and they stood at a distance. See, there was something uh, that they were used to doing. Again, they kept their distance from the rest of the healthy population. Then it says in verse 13 that they lifted up their voices saying, in other words, they yelled out, Jesus, have mercy on us. See, they had heard that they're not embarrassed to yell out Jesus' name. They're not um, reticent to, to scream at him and, and get his attention and ask for his help. They had heard that Jesus was a healer. He was coming through their town. This is their chance. I mean, they're living with this condition. They'd like not to live with this condition. And so here's their opportunity uh, to get well. And so they're trying to get Jesus' attention, whatever they have to do 
I mean, no holds barred. They're going to follow this guy around, hopefully, until they're healed. Um, Verse 14 says, And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, Gordon, how would Jesus tell them to go show themselves to the priest? I mean, why didn't he just say, uh, You're healed, and then they're healed, and then everything's good? Well, in the Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 14, I believe it was, um, they were required... Uh, if somebody had experienced divine healing in order to let the rest of the public population know that this person was indeed cured of their leprosy, um, they would go show themselves to the priest, and the priest would then con- he would show them the places, and they'd take off their robe or whatever it was where they covered up, and they would show and demonstrate that, hey, look, I've actually been healed of this. And then the priest would basically give them their medical release form, if you would, that they could go back to their job, they could go back to their family, they could go back and rejoin society. So when Jesus tells these 10 guys to report themselves to the priests, they know in their mind, hey, Jesus is telling us we're going to be healed. So from the moment that we're standing here in front of him till we get to that priest, somewhere along this way, this disease that we have is going to disappear and I'm going to be fine again. And so that's what Jesus is signaling to them. Um, And that's exactly what happened. Look at the end of verse 14. It says, as they went, they were cleansed. Now, this is the way true biblical faith works. God makes us a promise, tells us something's going to happen, signals to us that something's going to happen, and then we have to do what? Follow, believe, that's right, act on it, do whatever it was that he's asking us to do, and then God follows through on his promise. This is the way biblical faith works. This is the way it worked for Abraham when God asked him to leave his homeland. This is the way it worked with Moses when God asked him to go back and face Pharaoh. This is the way it worked with Esther when God asked her to go see the king uninvited. This is the way it worked for Joshua when God told him to go and walk around the walls of Jericho multiple times. And this is the way it worked with the ten lepers. God told them to go do something. There was a promise that they were going to be healed. They had to believe that Jesus was telling them the truth, go present themselves to the priest, and along the way, sure enough, they were healed. The problem for us is that we're always trying to get God to tell us or show us that it's going to happen before we take that step of faith, right? We say, God, we want for you to demonstrate to us that you have the power and that you're going to follow through on what it is that you're asking me to do and that you're going to follow through on your promise. And then, God, once you show me that, okay, now I'm ready to go and do whatever it is that you asked me to do. In other words, I want the, we want to get the cart before the horse. But that's not the way true biblical faith works. May I say that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that God is asking you to step out in faith, and if God is asking you to walk by faith in some area of your life, that if God is asking you to step out on his promises before you actually see or figure out how he's going to keep those promises, friends, we need to do what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And we need to take that step and follow God's lead and be obedient to what he's asking us to do. Let's get back to the story. Look at verse 15. It says, then one of the lepers, when he saw that he was healed, turned back or doubled back, praising God with a loud voice. Verse 16, then he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So this fellow was on his way to go see the priest along with the other nine. And uh, they're all miraculously healed. All the lesions are gone. Everything's completely good to go. And this guy thinks to himself, the priest can wait. I want to go back and thank the person that just made me well. I want to go back and thank my heavenly father. I want to go back and thank the Lord Jesus for making me well, for healing me. And so that's what he decides to do. He goes back to him, verse 17. Um, uh, And so he thanks him. And then verse 17, uh, he shows up and Jesus says, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? 
And then he says in verse 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this one foreigner, except this one Samaritan? Verse 19, last verse, then Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. All right, well, that's the end of our passage for today. And so that brings us to our question. Uh, what difference does all this make to my life? You think, Gordon, I don't have leprosy. I hope I never get leprosy. I don't even have a cold right now. So, I mean, what difference does any of this make to me? Well, let's talk about that. Um, you see the question that Jesus asked there in verse 17. Let's take a look at it again, where he says, were there not 10 that were healed? Where are the other nine? This question he asks is a rhetorical question. Jesus knows the answer to it. He knows that those other nine went on. They presented themselves to the priest. Maybe they'll come back again later. Who knows? But nevertheless, they weren't so moved to come back immediately and present themselves to Jesus and thank him for this. They went on to present themselves to the priest instead. And so uh, Jesus asked this question, not because he doesn't know the answer, but because he wants to make a point. And the point that Jesus wants to make is that way too often people forget to thank God for the kind and merciful things that he does for them. That's the point. And the point of the story is not that if you have faith and you exercise that faith, then God's going to come through on his promise. That's a sub-point, if you would, within the story. But the point of the story point that the author here is trying to make and that Jesus wants us to get is that too often God blesses us. God shows us mercy. God heals us perhaps even. And we oftentimes forget like the nine lepers. We go on about our way and forget to show our gratitude. Now we can, can we be honest for a moment and say that we like the nine lepers? Yeah, you know, I've been like that before. God's blessed me. God's brought, uh, supply into my life. God's provided for me and my family. God's protected us. God's done all sorts of things for us. He's blessed us in many ways. And yeah, I, I just, it just happened and I was, I just went on, went on with my life, went on with my way. But um, so I think there are three areas uh, where we can say, you know what, this happens not just in my relationship with God, but it happens in other ways as well. So the first of those um, because, you know, lots of times we pray and we say, oh, God, you know, please help me out here. Get me out of this mess. I I'm in trouble here, God. I need you to help me out. And then God does, and he doesn't hear from us again until, right, we're back in a mess, and we're needing his help, and the problems are beginning to rise up again. And so we don't come back and get on our knees like this one leper, and we just keep on going down the road. We don't stop and say, thank you. And so, folks, what Jesus is trying to say here this morning is that this dishonors God. He's trying to say that this offends our Heavenly Father, that he wants for us to be a people who are grateful. You say, well, I'm grateful in my heart, but he wants us to show it to him. He wants for us to express that to him. And so, again, I think there's three ways in which um, we um, fail to show our gratitude. One of those is toward our Heavenly Father. Again, Jesus was irked at the, at the ingratitude of the other nine lepers. You say, well, then why didn't Jesus just take the healing back? Could have, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> Again, our God doesn't do that. Our God's a merciful God. He's a patient God. He's a long-suffering God. That Even when we, like the nine lepers, just take our provision, take our resources, take God's blessing, and just go on, God's like, ah, I'm a merciful God, I'm a kind God, I'm a loving God. And so God lets us go on like the nine lepers with whatever the blessing was. But again, 
it's a fail, it does not excuse us from not going back and thanking God for what he does. I think there's a second area where we tend to be like the nine lepers. And that is when it comes to our parents. I mean, think about the number of times as a little kid that you had a fever. I mean, who helped you get better? Who rubbed your back and told you it was going to be okay? When life was playing a hard, giving you a hard time, right? Who was it that was, you know, wiped your dirty bottom and, and, and got spit up all over them, right? And fed you and raised you and sacrificed for you. That was your mom and dad. But how often do we take the time, especially for those of us with aging parents, to go and sit with them, to give them a call on the phone, to tell them we love them, to properly thank them for all that they have sacrificed for us? You know, God forbid that our parents treat us the way sometimes we treat them, right? I think a third way that we fail to show gratitude, third and finally, um, like the nine lepers, is when it comes to other people who have helped us along in our way of life. Could be a close friend, could be a coworker, or a boss, somebody who advocated for us, a relative, perhaps a stepmom or stepdad who stepped in and helped redirect us at a time in our life when things were beginning to get off course and our behaviors were becoming self-destructive and they spoke words of wisdom, they spoke words of discipline and shared God's love with us. Yet have we ever gone back to say thank you to them, to show our gratitude that they really made a big difference and kept our lives from spinning off into self-destructive patterns that without their help and their influence, we wouldn't be where we are today. Listen, this is the point that Jesus is making in Luke chapter 17, that all of us are prone, like the nine lepers, to be ungrateful. It's part of our human nature. It's part of our self-centered way of thinking. I mean, we're born into this world looking out for ourselves. And Jesus is saying, look, we've got to turn that around, and we need to be a people who are grateful, not just to our Heavenly Father, to the blessings that God's brought into our life and the people that speak life into us. In fact, what we find in the Bible is that over a hundred times God tells us to give thanks. God tells us to express our gratitude to him and to other people. Um, in Psalm chapter 100 and verse 4, for example, he says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. He's talking about going to the church building talking about going to the place where God is in the Old Testament, in the temple. And he's saying, when you go to that place, enter that place with thanksgiving in your heart and enter his courts, this place, with praise on your lips. He says, give thanks to the Lord and bless his name. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. Paul tells the Colossian Christians that they are to be abounding in thanksgiving. Not just have a little bit of gratitude, but that this is something that ought to be just overflowing out of them. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20, the Bible tells us that we are to give thanks always for everything to God the Father. Think about those words. To give thanks always and for everything, both in good times and in bad. It's all-inclusive. 
The point is, biblical thanksgiving is an act of our will. It is not a feeling. God never commands us in the Bible to feel any particular way. Did you notice that? God never tells you you have to feel a certain way. He never commands us, ever, in the Bible to feel. What God does command us is to behave and to act in particular ways. Why? Because biblical thanksgiving is a deliberate act of our will, which means that we can be thankful even when we're not feeling like it. You say, okay, Gordon, I get it. Giving thanks. Am I doing all right? All right. Turkey's still working on you? <laughs> you say, I get it. Giving thanks is a big deal. God tells us to give thanks to him. He tells us to give thanks to other people. Over a hundred times in the Bible, he tells us to act this certain way. I get it. Um, but tell me, why is giving thanks so important? What's the, what's the big deal about it? Well, two reasons. Number one, first reason giving thanks is such a big deal is because it brings the peace of God into our lives. Friends, when we are truly thankful, it brings peace and calm to our lives. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You got anxiety in your life? Paul says, let's not be that way. And what's the answer to it? He says, by prayer and supplication. Get on your knees, in other words. Spend time in quiet with your heavenly Father. And with thanksgiving, let your petitions be known to God. And then look at what follows. Listen to verse 7. He says, and the peace of God, peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, if you need peace in your life, it begins in quiet with your Heavenly Father. I always begin my quiet time with, dear Heavenly Father, to you be all thanks and all glory and all honor and all praise. And usually by the end of that sentence, I'm feeling the way I'm feeling right now. My heart is filled with gratitude. My anxious thoughts begin to disappear. Friends, when we get quiet before God, when we thank him, peace follows right behind. A second reason why God tells us to be thankful is that number two, a spirit of gratitude protects us from sin. It protects us from sin. Here's what I mean. If Adam and Eve, think about this, if they had been truly thankful for all that they had, oh boy, they had it good, didn't they? Things were great. They didn't have to go out and work for their food. They weren't dealing with long lines at Walmart. They were just, you know, life was good. There were no stoplights in the garden. Life was good for them. If they had just been truly thankful for all that God had provided, right? They wouldn't have done what they did if David had been truly thankful for all the provisions that God had brought into his life and all the blessings. David would never have had a second thought about sinning. If the people of Israel had been truly grateful for all that the Lord had done for them, for his provisions, then they never would have wandered around in the desert for 40 years. 
Listen, friends, one of the greatest protections against sin and self-destructive behavior in our lives is for us to be truly grateful for what the Lord has done for us. This is why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You say, Gordon, does that mean that I'm not supposed to work hard? Does that mean that I'm just supposed to sit around and take what I've got in life and just be happy with what I got? And I'm not supposed to try for more, strive for more? Is that what that's saying? No, that's not what that's saying at all. What that's saying is that it's great to be successful. It's great to try and increase your influence in this world for good and for the Lord. But what that's saying is also that in our attempts to increase our influence, in our attempts to gain more, that we are not to be disobedient biblically, right? That we're to be grateful to God along the way for all that God is blessing and bringing into our lives. Get more, make gains, that's a great thing. That's a biblical thing, but we need to do it God's way. You say, okay, Gordon, I get what you're saying. I see how I should be thankful in all circumstances, but here's my final question. How? How do I do this? I mean, it's one thing for me to be thankful when Jesus just healed me of my leprosy. Okay, that's going to be kind of natural, right? Uh, I think I would be, I'd be one of the ones that returns and comes back to Jesus. And when he does something big in my life, of course I'm going to be um, grateful to him for that. But, yeah, there's other stuff that comes into my life I'm not feeling it, right? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to be thankful for this, what Jesus is bringing. So how do I be grateful in all circumstances? Well, the answer is very simple, and it comes from having a biblical worldview, what we've been talking about these past weeks. And a biblical worldview reveals two things. First of all, what we talked about last week, that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world, that pain and suffering and illness, and injury, that these things were never supposed to be part of our experience in this world. But because sin entered into it, things have changed. My, how they have changed. And that now we do have these experiences of pain, and suffering, and illness, and injury. So we don't blame God for the bad things that happen in our world. He's not at fault for those. We should never point our finger at him for all the bad stuff that happens. Much of it, not all of it, but much of it, is just the natural consequence of sin. It's just the natural consequence of living in a fallen world when the selfish, sinful hearts of men begin to act out. Bad things happen. God didn't cause that. You say, Gordon, where do you learn that? In the Bible. And the second thing that a biblical worldview tells us or teaches us is that we serve a redemptive God. We serve a redemptive God. That our God, despite all the bad, despite all the pain and the suffering and the injury, that our God is working through that stuff, the Bible tells us, for our good. He's working to redeem that stuff, to paint a much more beautiful, redemptive picture. That our God, who is in sovereign control of the universe, is working to flip those injuries, is working to flip those sufferings and pain and illness for a blessing 
in our lives for our own good. You say again, Gordon, where'd you learn that? In the Bible. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and I'll close with this, says, For our God is working through all things for the good of those who love him. Friends, friends, when we realize that God gives purpose to our suffering and redeems our pain, then we can have hope. Then we can be truly thankful in all situations. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we thank you for reminding us today that you are indeed a redemptive God. That, Lord, there are times when we see your hand clearly at work and it's blessing us, and, oh, God, we love what you're doing for us and in our lives. And we'll celebrate that, and we'll thank you for that. But, Lord, when things aren't going so well, when heartache and struggle become a part of our experience, sometimes, God, that is your hand at work bringing discipline into our life, but sometimes, God, it's just part of living in this fallen world where we know, we know you've made us the promise, the good promise that you are working through all of that stuff for our good. Lord, as we gather around this table this morning, we're reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body, that the greatest blessing that the world ever know came through suffering, came through pain, came through death. Lord, it is with grateful hearts that we celebrate this meal together today. Holy Spirit, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Help us to have faith like the lepers, that God, if you're asking something of us, we would follow your voice. We give you this space. Speak to our hearts this morning. Minister to us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's holy name.